This is Werner Herzog and you are listening to Internet Explorer. Hello, welcome to another episode of BuzzFeed's Internet Explorer. I'm Katie Natopoulos. My normal co-host, Ryan Broderick, is out this week. He is in Rio covering the Olympics. People don't realize this. He is uh, an Olympic-level pole vaulter. And uh, so he'll be doing that. Make sure you catch him in the pole vault. <laughs> He's going to send us a little something that he recorded down there that uh, we'll, we'll get to hear a little later in the show. But who freaking cares about Ryan because we have an amazing guest that I'll be talking to in a little bit. Um, we have talking with us the filmmaker Werner Herzog, uh, who is a genius, a legend, has made a bazillion movies for decades and decades. He has a new movie that's about the internet. So why wouldn't he want to talk with us? Obviously, you gotta come to Internet Explorer and talk to us about the internet. Are you excited? I am. <laughs> Werner Herzog, thank you so much for joining us on the Internet Explorer podcast. I am so happy to have you here as a guest. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, so your new movie, Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World, comes out in theaters August 19th. It is about the internet. It's about technology. I loved it. I mean, the idea that this was a movie that you made that was about a topic that I'm so passionate about uh, was amazing for me. So what parts of the internet do you actually use? Well, I use it, uh, but in a fairly limited way. I correspond uh, via email, in particular mm -hmm. with my brother, who uh, is in Vienna in Europe, and we are nine hours apart. Quite often I would send, let's say, a longer text to a friend of mine, and I would ask, can you send it back with corrections and ideas, write some notes about it, or I would uh, sometimes use uh, Skype for family brief mm. encounters. It doesn't replace a real meeting, but if some family member is, let's say, in uh, Berlin right now, it's still better than uh, no contact at all. Since you sort of don't really use social media like Twitter or Facebook or things like that, do you ever worry that you're missing out on stuff on there? Oh, no. Everything important has always reached me. <laughs> uh, being on internet, on Twitter, f Facebook, and so. It's funny because uh, you're mentioning it. Of course, I'm on Facebook, but it's an imposter. I'm on Twitter. It's uh, it's fake. Mm. Uh, and I do have at least uh, three dozen, maybe four dozen imposters. People who imitate my voice, people who write parodies. Um, let's say a fake letter Werner Herzog writes to his uh, cleaning lady. <laughs> um, and it goes viral. And, and so I f do not feel uncomfortable with it because some of it is real good satire. And it's always good to have some sort of, of self-irony and looking at, at yourself. And secondly, mm -hmm. all these imposters uh, force you to think about our change, how we project ourselves as, as self and on the internet, of course, it, it is an artificial self. It is an, uh, it's an embellished, it's a somehow stylized form of self. And mm -hmm. uh, this has spread, of course, uh, worldwide. And uh, self is not the same anymore as it used to be. 
self-vis-a-vis a, a wider public is a different one. I mean, that's definitely something that's so true about the way we choose to present ourselves on social media is always, you know, you, you only post the most flattering pictures of yourself. Or, you know, you, you sort of get to choose a little bit of, yeah, it's almost like everyone on social media is almost being their own imposter. In a way, yes, yeah. But at the same time, you don't even know whether you're speaking to a robot. <laughs> I could be I could be a robot pretending to be Werner Herzog. <laughs> I would be extremely disappointed if that was true. <laughs> so one of the things that I think young people talk a lot about that has been sort of, maybe it's created by social media, maybe it's something that has just always existed, is the concept of fear of missing out. And they call it FOMO for short, because it's fear of missing out. Do you think that is something that everyone gets, or do you think that's something that social media has created? No, 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 no. It's. I think it's a phenomenon that has been always out there, but of course exacerbated and very visible now because uh, all these people are using the internet and they, they measure their gauge, their popularity by let's say, the amount of friends they collect. But of course, they're all virtual friendships and you can even somehow organize and buy likes and things like this. So, Mm -hmm. of course, there's a different relationship between an individual and the rest of the world out there that's on the internet. And uh, these fears of being left out uh, is is nothing new. Yeah. But, of course... uh, it, it has become a, a dramatically visible part of our everyday life, at least for those who are striving to be popular and being included and being part of a circle of friends as wide as it can get. Do you think that it's making people unhappier? I do not know. We have to see what uh, what happens uh, in in the longer-term future, but I think... Nobody has become much happier by being on Facebook. <laughs> I, I do not believe it. Uh, I think um, when um, we look at the depth of Facebook and this kind of shallow virtual friendships and connections, I do believe that uh, many of us will understand that uh, just sitting together with friends and, and cooking a meal uh, leaving your uh, cell phones, your smartphones behind and laughing and enjoying an evening is has, has its own unparalleled value. So one of the things in Lo and Behold that I sort of noticed was that it's very much, I mean, it's very much about sort of the the history of how the internet came to be. It has some stories about really unique, uh, weird parts of that that, people probably wouldn't have thought of. Um, It also has sort of, you know, people like Elon Musk who, you know, are talking about space and technology and robotics and the capabilities of all these things that might happen in the next 10 years or so. Um, And the impression that I got was that the way that this film is presenting the concept of, quote unquote, the Internet is as a thing, um, sort of a series of tubes. You know, this this podcast that I do is usually about, you know, it's about the Internet. Um, I mean, it's always about the Internet. Um, when I and my co-host usually use the phrase the Internet, we're sort of referring to 
people, I guess. Uh, you know, we would say, oh, this happened and the Internet thought it was so funny. Do you think of the Internet as a thing or or could it mean people to you? Uh, well, that sticks deep into the question of what what is communication and how do we con connect uh, with other human beings? Um, and of course, uh, eventually there will be internet in uh, our solar system, or let's say at least internet between uh, our planet and our moon, because it's much easier to have a small colony out there. But the question itself, should we colonize Mars and should we not rather look into improving the habitability of our planet? That's a much bigger issue. And mm. I, I think technically, eventually it will be possible much, much later than we think at the moment. And the mm -hmm. question is, uh, does it make much sense that we use it uh, in all these uh, thinkable ways uh, or should we restrain ourselves what what is lacking so far is that um, the phenomenon is so big and so rapidly evolving uh, that most of us have not uh, generated a filter how do we use mm. it i think i do have a filter because i use it but i use it uh, at certain limited times and in a limited scope mm -hmm. And I'm very comfortable with it. And um, I know that everything that's important will reach me anyway. So I do not feel kind of cut out and left out and in self-isolation. Or, or so I'm a very communicative person. I do make films. And of course, uh, I reach out to audiences. And what is beautiful about the Internet today, it's a very young ones who send me emails. In their, and they speak as if I was in their age group. They try to gang up with me, <laughs> the 12-year-olds, the 15-year-olds. And they're, they're real, real smart ones out there. And I enjoy, I enjoy that they are trying to gang up with me. <laughs> what does an average email from a 12-year-old to Werner Herzog look like? Yeah, quite often, uh, for example, about bullying. Uh, how could huh. they defend themselves and what could they do or should we really go to Mars or not? Very intelligent arguments. Uh, should we uh, uh, somehow go wild, wildly into research of artificial intelligence? Can we trust robots? So mm -hmm. a, a lot of things coming at us and they are coming uh, at this very young generation and for them uh, a robot uh, that uh, will come through their windows uh, and open fire is, is not unthinkable. It's funny. I think a lot of times people think that the Internet is, you know, dumbing down kids these days. But I think about how much information they have at their fingers. Even Wikipedia, which is not a great and reliable thing, it still gives them so much access information that you know I never had as a kid growing up I mean they, true true yes in so many ways I think they must be so much smarter than than we ever were no 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 it's it's very shallow form of of information most of mm -hmm. it is very shallow and access uh, when you send tweets or you are going to Wikipedia of course uh, doesn't have the depth of the Encyclopedia Britannica for example 
But mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. What what matters much more is how do we start to uh, examine the real world? Should we delegate it to an application on our smartphone? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that because I've seen it. Uh, an editor of mine has a girlfriend visiting him every day. And after 30 times, 40 times, she is desperate and can't find him because her GPS system is out. <laughs> and it's only one and a half miles and only two, <laughs> two or three turns. And she has never examined the pattern of how to find him. She has never looked at the names of the streets. She just followed, examined blindly what the GPS system told her. And all of a sudden she cannot find uh, her, her boyfriend anymore. <laughs> what I mean to say by that is exactly what one of the pioneers of the internet, Leonard Kleinrock, says. Do not uh, delegate the real examination of the real world to an application on your cell phone. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would like all the listeners of this podcast to, to please take that to heart if you can take one thing away from this. Uh, do not delegate real life to an app. So one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting in uh, this film is there's one story about a family. Uh, their daughter died in a car crash and they received you know, harassment and sort of bullying people started e somehow the pictures of this girl's death had gotten out um and you know they were sort of flooded with harassment from strangers on the internet uh which is just a terrible terrible thing that happened um to try to to want to harass a grieving family and this this really stuck out to me because this seemed like the the one story in the film that was really about the sort of the essence of internet culture and the way that people behave so differently online than they do in real life. No, you know, no one would go to a funeral and say something rude to the family, but people will do this, feel emboldened to do it online. Do you think that there is this huge divide between the way people act online and the way they act in real life? Yes, I do believe so, because uh, the Internet always has or almost always has this aura of invisibility, of anonymity. And some of the vilest in us collectively all of a sudden exposes itself. And it's not only the, the tragedy of the family who lost her daughter in a horrifying accident, they, num number two, the picture of the almost decapitated body uh, was a million times clicked on the internet. Again, that's not the worst of all. The real worst was um, emails that arrived where people in the vilest and most debased manner would, for example, describe what they would love to do with the body. Mm -hmm. It's so unspeakable, and I've seen some of it, I've heard some of it. It is so unspeakable that it is beyond belief, and it can never, ever be publicized. Mm -hmm. It cannot. It's so debased. And, of course, I do understand, and the mother of the girl has a right to say that the Internet is a manifestation of the Antichrist. She does have the right to say that. But... At the same time, we should be cautious to somehow uh, put values on the Internet. 
is it good or is it bad? I think it doesn't have this kind of qualities. Only human beings have these qualities, being good or bad or evil or debased or glorious or whatever. The internet is doesn't have any values per se, with the exception of technical values. It has become mm -hmm. so and so fast. It has uh, connectivity that is unprecedented by now, and it's still growing. So one of the themes that has come across in a bunch of your films is the the sort of the folly of people who think that nature is inherently good. And, you know, in, in I think in Grizzly Man you had described that it, there's the overwhelming indifference of nature and that it's things about, you know, the jungle or the outdoors yeah. are sort of murderous and cruel and bad. And in a lot of ways I was thinking about how that analogy almost that nature and the internet are could be substituted for each other in this case and that people who believe that yeah. oh it's good it's inherently great it's wonderful people who are really you know gung-ho about the possibilities of technology and the internet someone like Elon Musk you know there's a little bit of I think you're skeptical about it you think maybe you know <laughs> maybe not so much well I personally am skeptical whether we should even contemplate colonizing Mars because uh, we have a much more important task here on our own planet. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one of the things I, I could say. However, eventually in a few centuries or so there might be some some colonies on Mars, but uh, I don't know what we, what do we do with it. They are not going to be a safe a safe haven. They're not going to be our safety belt out there in, a, in an ocean, vast ocean of a, of a universe. Uh, it, today, and probably in the near future, it will be a thousand times easier to create, uh, uh, let's say, a colony on the bottom of the oceans than it is creating a colony on, on Mars. We do not need it, and we shouldn't need it. Do you think someone like Elon Musk, who is in so many ways so, like such a visionary and such a genius and has done so many successful, great things, is this space dream of his like kind of his his folly? No, we shouldn't see him just as a dreamer because he uh, does a lot of things in practical terms. I mean, he has uh, made a fortune with PayPal has changed a lot of how financial transactions are made. Uh, he has um, uh, started to manufacture electric cars, the Teslas, and now into a huge, huge manufacturing of batteries. And that's a key. And I think he, he does a lot of very interesting uh, stuff that points clearly into the future. And I think he's setting his aims way beyond what is right now doable. Of course, he um, has a, has a, a rockets that will or have already served the International Space Station. All fine, but I think he puts the stakes very far out as a point of orientation. I, I'm not so convinced that he really uh, will ever see it and wants ever to see it to have a colony on Mars. Mm -hmm. I have I have my doubts, but let's not read too much into him. Is but we have we should take him seriously because he's not just a dreamer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to the uh, the family whose daughter had died and the the emails they had received, you know, I I, I know that it was a, a choice of yours to not even you know read the text of the emails that they were so graphic and vile that this kind of content should not be exposed to the audience. Not even a photo where she's seen in 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 uh, as a, as a beautiful young teenage girl, not even a, f- a photo where she's alive. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had seen the recent uh, O.J. Simpson documentary, the one that was from ESPN that was like nine hours long. In that, they showed two uh, crime scene photos of the murders of uh, Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman um, that had never been shown to the public before, and they were extremely graphic. Um, it was, you know, of these two people who had been murdered. Um, And it was really shocking to watch this and see these photos. Um, As a filmmaker, uh, what is your take on the value of showing graphic content like that? Well, I I personally do not like it to see and put it out in in public. Uh, And it is totally right, uh, for example, that uh, videos that were taken by desperate people uh, when the, uh, the World Trade Center was attacked on 9-11. I think 200 people jumped out from 104th, uh, 98 or so floor. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, amateur videos of that. And nobody has broadcast it yet. And I think it's wise and right. There is such a thing as the dignity of a person's death and the privacy of a, of a person's death. So if somebody shows these horrifying uh, images, I think uh, they do it for uh, whatever shock value and, and sell the film better. Mm-hmm. I have a suspicion that there's something not right. It did feel weird. I mean, I, I assume that you know the person who made this film could argue that there was a justifiable reason to show these gruesome photos in the context of well, the story. But it was very shocking. I have no idea because I haven't seen the film. I do not Mm -hmm. know exactly what you are referring to. But I think in general terms, we should be very, very cautious. What do we show? And Mm -hmm. uh, I had this case similarly in uh, Grizzly Man. There is a tape, an audio tape of the last six minutes of the life of Timothy Treadwell, who was killed and eaten by a bear and his girlfriend. And it was known in public that this tape existed. And I was pressured, uh, make it audible in your film, and I didn't do it. And I said, only over my dead body, this is going to be in the film. Uh, And it was not in the film. And it's just a respect Mm -hmm. for the dignity of of somebody who has died. So somewhat on that topic, I don't know if you were perhaps had caught wind this past May... A gorilla was shot by the zookeepers in a zoo in Cincinnati. A child had fallen Mm. into the gorilla cage, and in order to save the child, they shot the gorilla. And, uh, you know, when this first happened, people were kind of shocked because, you know, the idea of having to kill a gorilla to save a child is sort of this weird, shocking conundrum. It made people upset about the nature of zoos. And that lasted for a few days. And then um, more recently, so that happened in May, you know, 
flash forward two months, three months later, and but what the would, gorilla. What would, may, I, may I interrupt? What would you have done? Would you have shot the gorilla, or would you have uh, watched how the child potentially might have been killed? What would you have done? I would have shot the gorilla. I mean, I think they did the right thing, in my yeah, opinion. Of course. But uh, so, pe but people were shocked at this at first, and then slowly something changed where all of a sudden the gorilla, so the gorilla, you know, in zoos, they often name the gorillas and his name was Harambe. Um, people on the internet, um, on social media, especially on Twitter and on Tumblr, uh, it sort of became this joke and people would make photoshopped pictures of Harambe the gorilla in heaven and, you know, they would pretend that they were so upset that they missed him. And he sort of, this dead animal became this punchline. It was sort of ironic, but it's also quite callous. Well, I haven't seen any of this, but uh, I do believe that there are new forms of, of parody out there, new forms of irony, new unprecedented forms of, uh, of vile, anonymous sort of interference of individuals into the internet. So there's quite a few new phenomena out there and uh, I haven't studied uh, all of it and I'm just curious what you are saying. Uh, of course, I think the internet uh, is starting to um, develop its own humor. And I just have to point out the crazy cat videos. And I mean, <laughs> the, some of them are absolutely and and, and uh, incredibly hilarious. <laughs> so you enjoy cat videos? I do, yes. And it's it's purely purely something that goes viral on, on the internet. And, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong about it. When when you're really down, you you better switch on your your laptop or your smartphone and watch sixty seconds a crazy cat video. It just lifts, <laughs> lifts your spirits. Um, Nothing wrong I, about it. I 100% agree with that. So we have a, um, a couple sort of fast questions for you. Yeah. Um, if you were to disappear as a human and come back as one animal, uh, what kind of animal would you choose to be? That's not easy. <laughs> Probably uh, as a hummingbird. Huh. Okay. If you could participate in any of the Summer Olympic sports, what sport would you be in? That's interesting. Soccer, I would say. Hmm, fair enough. What position soccer would you play? Either the last man goalie or the center forward. That makes sense. The front man or the last man. And I actually have played in... in uh, small fifth division team in, in Munich. And for a while I was goalkeeper and for a while I was uh, center forward. Ah, there you go. Which were you better at? Well, I was, the, as a team, it's very low quality. Everybody was, <laughs> wasn't great. But I enjoyed it tremendously. Don't ask how good or how bad I was. <laughs> I was pretty bad. <laughs> Um, if you could hack someone or some things, computer, who would it be? Um, Donald Trump. <laughs> what do you think you would find on there? I do not know, but I would be curious. 
But of course, I, in general, I wouldn't be interested in, in hacking anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm just playing the game of you asking questions. It's a game <laughs> now. Yeah, fair enough. If there's elections, well, I cannot participate because I cannot vote. I'm not an American citizen. But um, I, beyond all this, let's not speak of Trump. It was silly that I even mentioned the name. <laughs> I do believe, I do believe that there's a collective intelligence in American voters or in voters in general that go beyond flashy headlines and that go beyond opinion polls. Don't don't despair. America is going to do the right thing. I think so. I think so. If the internet was a human being, who do you think it would be? Who would it be? Oh, it's too much a collective sort of uh, phenomenon. We cannot assign it to one one single person. We should speak about either a tribe, or we should speak about uh, I don't know. Um, a whole country or a whole age group, I would say it wouldn't be an individual. It would be the collective of the 15-year-olds or <laughs> teenagers. Uh, speaking of teenagers, do you think that teenagers, because they're growing up on cell phones and the Internet, are going to eventually be like a totally different species? No, uh, they will stay and remain as human as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about them. But let them do all their mistakes. They have to go through it and they have to find a way to deal uh, reasonably with the Internet. Teens out there, please listen to Werner Herzog and, you know, be responsible. Uh, we have a lot of teen listeners on this podcast, so they'll take your advice, I think. Yeah. Werner Herzog, thank you again so much. Um, Lo and behold, Reveries of the Connected World is coming out August 18th. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking with me today. Okay, goodbye. Uh, because we're going on hiatus for a little bit, uh, we decided to sort of wrap things up. Uh, we went and reached out to some of our past guests, friends of the show. Uh, we asked them to answer a question for us. And the question that we asked them is, what is left to explore on the Internet? Okay, testing, testing. Hi. My name is Gina Moore Barrett. Hi, this is producer Julia. My name is Brian Feldman. My name is Amber Disco. My name is Jules Darmanin. My name is Alan White. Hi, my name is Michelle Rennick. My name is Michael Blackman. And my name is Kritika Malikarjuna. And I think Internet Explorer is the most beta. The gruelest is one of the most dank. The dankest. It's the most memeingful podcast I've ever heard. Get it? Because meme. Honestly, it's the most educational podcast because I didn't know my ass from my elbow. And now here we are and I am ruined. The most mellifluous. The most minion friendly podcast I've ever heard. You sick fucks. So what's left to explore of the Internet? Good question. I think the only thing left to explore on the Internet is uh, how many fucked up things straight white men can do. I'd say the last thing to explore on the internet is actually ourselves. You know, kind of an animal mask with a Make America Great cap on again. Uh, it's like the most 2016 thing I've ever seen. So please, 
go deep on Furries for Trump and tell me what's happening. First and foremost, I'd like to know where the rest of the episodes to R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet are. I know he wrote them, uh, but I want to know where they are, so we should explore that. I think that the internet needs to come up with a way to do scratch and sniff shit, because sometimes when I'm like on a site, like I just want to smell like the food. Um, also aliens, always aliens. Like a burger, if I'm looking at a burger, I just want to smell it. I think the thing that's left to explore about the internet is how I can get food directly from the internet into my face. The only thing left to explore on the internet is how to destroy it. It was a grand experiment that has frankly turned into a complete and utter disaster, and it should be abolished. So although Ryan Broderick is not uh, physically here with us, although, I mean, it doesn't really matter because you're not physically here with me either. I mean, I'm alone in a room talking to myself. It's very pathetic. But Ryan was out in the world in Brazil, and he sent us a fun little uh, recorded package that he did. You're going to enjoy this. Hello, Internet Explorer fans. It's Ryan Broderick. I'm in a towel right now in an Airbnb in Rio. I couldn't be in this week's show properly because honestly, like, I'm just sick of talking to Katie. You're all probably wondering what the Rio Olympics are like. I feel like it's the most infamous and, like, overly hyped Olympics I can remember. And what's been really funny to watch is I've been checking Olympic Tinder because my, uh, my Airbnb is within the radius for the Olympic Village. So I've been checking Olympic Tinder every night to see if people are getting more and more comfortable like using it, and they totally are. When I first got here last Thursday, no one was on Tinder. And now, like every day, there, there's like more and more athletes and like volunteers that are using it. I even, uh, you know, not to humble brag, but uh, I may or may not have matched with a member of the Dutch uh, running team. So uh, if you happen to be a secret meme podcast fan, you know, I messaged you, you didn't message me back. So, so, you know, hit me up. That would be great. There hasn't been much violence, which has been good. The first day, uh, things got a little crazy. There was a big protest at the Copacabana Beach protesting Lava Jato, or the car wash, which is the kind of hilarious term that people have been using for uh, the Brazil impeachment process. If you're not familiar, a couple months ago, Basically, a bunch of politicians conspired to legally oust uh, the former president, Gilma, Gilma Rousseff. So the Lava Jato protest was like pretty calm. It was huge, but it was pretty calm. As the day before the opening ceremonies wore on, things were definitely getting more and more tense. I think the city was sort of bracing itself. And uh, I was walking with uh, another BuzzFeed reporter, Tamara Griffin, and we stumbled across what we had seen on Twitter and thought was a massive protest, but it was actually pretty small. It was like 200 people. And this one was an anti-Olympic protest. And we were sitting in this park, kind of watching this protest unfold. And then <laughs> these little like Occupy Wall Street, like crust punky kids in black bandanas and hoodies and stuff in the protest, they run up to a flagpole, climb it, yank down the flag, and burn it. It's like a the, the flag of Rio. They burn it. 
But also, like, everyone I've talked to here has said pretty much the, the same thing, which is a split feeling about the Olympics, which is, one, like, it's a big deal. It's, you know, for some people, it's a once-in-a-lifetime moment to have the Olympics in their city. And, yeah, could the money have gone to more important things like infrastructure or helping people that need it? Yes. Did the Olympics come at possibly the one of the worst times in modern political history in Brazil? Yes. But it's still the Olympics, you know? It's like a weird international clusterfuck every single time. But it's sort of wonderful. And as the Olympics have progressed, that mood has definitely kind of gotten bigger and bigger. In fact, now I've been hearing reports of... Uh, Brazilian fans being so loud at every Brazilian team's event that, like, you can't hear anything. Like, the minute a Brazilian does anything in a competition, the fans go insane. So BuzzFeed's Internet Explorer is going on a hiatus. It's a weird feeling. We've been doing this show pretty much nonstop for almost two years. We really didn't know what the show was going to be. And we really didn't know who was going to listen to the show. It's sort of been like this really wild ride. Turns out podcasts are a lot of work. But it's worth it. Because especially because the audience you get with a podcast is unlike anything I've ever really experienced. It's definitely made my Twitter more fun. You guys are very, very vocal. And I hope that you will continue to be. Thank you for listening to this little show. Keep us subscribed on iTunes and keep following us on Twitter. You might get a few surprises in the next couple months. So don't worry. We won't disappear from your lives completely. The IE420 Meme Lords Slack Room. Jump in there. Oh, and remember, um, George Bush did Harambee. 420, 420, 420. All right, bye. So that was our exciting episode for today. Uh, This will be the last episode for a couple months. Um, We're going to go on a little hiatus. I'm going on maternity leave. Ryan has to actually do his job for once. Oh, Ryan. But, uh, you know... Just keep existing on the internet without us. The world will keep turning, I think. Speaking of the future, thank you so much to Werner Herzog. See his movie, uh, Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World. is a great movie if you love this podcast or even like it or even just vaguely tolerate listening to it while it's on in the background while you're taking a shit or something. Um, you're going to love this movie. It releases in the U.S. August 19th. If you don't live in the U.S., some other time i'm sure you can figure it out follow us at iExplorer on twitter you can email us if you miss us and you just want to say hi and ryan will respond with a uh, creepy selfie of himself i'm just putting that out there now ryan's obligated to do it um <laughs> so you know be in touch be around thank you to ryan being the light of my life thank you to julia furlon if uh she was a Werner herzog movie uh she would be grizzly man 
Also, Eleanor Kagan, if she was a Werner Herzog movie, she would be bad lieutenant, too. Um, <laughs> possibly the best one. <laughs> um, and, of course, Meg Kramer, uh, if she was a Werner Herzog movie, she would be Fitzcarraldo. And, of course, thanks to CDM Studios, uh, where we recorded this today. And thanks to Kathy, too, who uh, recorded Werner's end of the phone conversation that we had. And, you know, I'll miss you. <laughs> Bye for now! <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and let's try our best. Okay. But give give me a signal if I talk too much. Um, I would there would be nothing I would love more than if you talk too much. That's very strange. I hear an echo now. Oh, that was that was something the the engineer did. He says ignore it. <laughs> Why was it a hacker coming in here? <laughs> Could have been.